that's when it came out of a clear blue sky. Oh, the dear good Lord's own sweet breath and his voice like an electric shock. I Welcome to Good Luck America, a politics and news podcast, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Chet Wild. Good pod! Good Woo! pod! We are chanting for ourselves. We are killing it right that now. That shit open. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> that's part of the pod. We're already recording. Come on. Welcome a good luck america how about that intro a news and politics podcast a politics and news podcast it's it's both of those things a father's day special it well it's coming out tomorrow but happy father's day adam todd brown hey thank you so much i'm chet wild back by popular demand thank you people in the comments that so clearly miss me and advocate for me being here <laughs> back for my butts on balconies uh tour if you follow me, I wasn't here last time. Uh, on the Instagram, I was on four different piers, or as I call them, ocean balconies. Uh, oh, checking sure. Checking out butts. Nice. Butts on balconies. But back. now I'm back here forever. Every here week. Forever. Talking politics. In your hearts. Very well informed. Right up my specialty area. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Just Ooh. like you love. Right in Chet's specialty area. I yeah. like it. So how was your sojourn, your hiatus Great. from I went the podcast? Last Shout week. out to Anna Valenzuela for sitting in. Yeah, she's all right. She, oh, don't be that way. She's a goddamn delight. She's a goddamn delight. She is fantastic. She filled my shoes and then some. But I said, hey, it's got to be uncomfortable if you're filling those shoes so much. You know what I mean? You need smaller feet. So that's why I'm back here because it's uncomfortable Filling shoes, if you overfill, you know, people always talk about, try filling my shoes. She filled my shoes and then some, but that's got to hurt your feet, you know? That's you're, a good point, yeah. You're pushing, <laughs> you're pushing a, a size 15 of content into my size 11 and a half. <laughs> I'm not saying she has big feet, I'm just saying she brought she I think brought we get, it took pod. a while, but I do finally get where you were heading yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. And I think you got there. Like, She's a nine and I'm a six. You know what I'm saying? And you gotta what? There's put those new two oh, numbers together. Why would you do Come that? Come on, why would I? Those deli pictures you sent me, so funny. Here's the thing: me and Chet have had a running bit. Maybe you don't know. Not a bit. Where we just genuinely lose our shit every time we see or hear the number sixty-nine. Eighty percent of it is never on social media. Or <laughs> right. <laughs> you just said it. I just and speaking of one that was not on social media, I just moved to a, a new town recently and there is a ralph's close to me and That's this a local grocery store yeah it's it's a grocery chain in los angeles and there is a deli sign that the other day i noticed was on number 69 <laughs> and i thought like that was a sex position just like the sex thing and I had taken a picture of it with the intention of sending it to Chet, and I never got around to sending it. And then I was in the other day and noticed it was still on 69. So it's just perpetually stuck on 69. Well, it's a, it's a precarious number to get stuck on. <laughs> oh, right. Because it's hard because your parts lock in. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot. So the Ralphs gets it. They get the joke. Can they be the official grocery store of this pod now? Well, I said we should try and do a live pod, like in the deli section. Okay. I'll I'm see down. if we can line it up. I'm sure they're, I'm sure Ralph's corporate will be way into that idea. Fuck yeah. I mean, they're the ones advertising 69. <laughs> they're now serving 69. That's the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Man. A news and politics podcast. Yes, it is. Let's get the topic board flashing. Now that the 9-11 board is flashing. Well, I just keep forgetting to update it. It's supposed to be a topic board. I guess it should have Peter Kirsenow's name. Sorry, Peter Kirsenow. I've been pronouncing that name wrong. I call him Peter K. For at least a year and a half, maybe closer to two years. But I'm getting it together now. We're, we're talking about, we're mostly talking about Peter Kirsenow today. It's a name I've been bringing up a lot. I've been saying for a couple of years now that eventually Trump's strategy is going to be to go really hard for the black vote. And I think that has started. 
and I I want to just talk about Peter Kersenow. This is a guy I can't imagine that the Trump administration isn't going to roll this guy out soon in some really high-profile capacity. Because he's black. Well, not just because he's black, but that certainly helps in pitching the campaign platform that they're going to be pitching for 2020, which is that, one, illegal immigration hurts black males more than anyone else, and also... The idea that diversity and multiculturalism, people who push that are actually the racists. Racist. Because they're saying you're different, you're not equal. <laughs> oh, oh I, I thought you were fixing the audio or something. Oh, I was just turning it up a little bit. Uh, because they're saying you're, 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 uh, diversity and multiculturalism, uh, yeah, diversity and multiculturalism uh, is this idea that you're not equal, you're getting special treatment that is racist right and to put it in layman's terms right and the reason i wanted to finally do this episode because it is a thing i've talked about a lot but i've never dedicated an entire episode to peter kersenow or the ideas that he's been pushing throughout his he's been in politics a long time we're going to talk about kind of what brought him into the inner circle of politics way back in 2001. Controversial. Yeah, it was very controversial. And it's, you know, he's been around for close to 20 years now. He's been a political figure in Washington. And I think it's it's going to surprise people how many Trump-like talking points and quotes you're going to hear from Peter Kersenow in this episode. Because we're going to go through a speech he gave in 2014 Mind you, this speech on YouTube has less than 500 views. And it's, uh, it's a good curveball there. Uh, well, not good, but it's definitely a curveball. When I first started watching the speech, a turn. the first 10 to 15 minutes, I'm like, oh, ha, 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 whatever banter about the Cleveland Browns. Uh, yeah, like, he's got a lot of personality. Seems, yeah. And then, he's a good and he's speaker. very well educated. He's a good speaker. Very and then, good speaker. And then it's like, whoa, what'd you say? And we don't, mean, right? we don't mean good speaker like, oh, he's very well spoken like that like quasi-racist shit that sports announcers say. This guy is a charming, charismatic public speaker. And as we'll get into later, uh, from my perspective, you can argue that he makes multiple valid points. That's the thing, yeah. My concern with that, and, and this is the perspective I'll be diving from, uh, diving into, is you can make valid points, but what concerns me is the intention behind that. Like, right, manipulating... Uh, things where you're like, well, you could say this. It's like, yeah, it makes sense. But really, you have a different agenda. To You're just positioning yourself that way. So someone could say, well, that makes sense in theory, but it's just an ulter uh, ulterior motive to get rid of certain groups of people or not allow certain groups of people in. Right, right. Uh, all in the name of patriotism. Yeah. Weirdly enough. America. And what gave me the idea for doing this episode now is I feel like the idea that Trump going after black votes to win in 2020 is an idea that hasn't been mentioned much in the mainstream media or at all. And there was finally, on June 12th, there was an article on CNN, an editorial written by Isaac Bailey, who is an interim member of the Charlotte Observer editorial board. I don't know what that means, but I'm certain it's a job I would take if it was offered to me. So Yeah, you want to move to Charlotte? No, no, absolutely not. Okay. If I, I would have to be able to do it from home. Okay, got it. Like if I could Skype in to the board meetings, I would do that. And the first sentence of his article, black voters are not going to follow Kim Kardashian and Kanye West into the arms of President Donald Trump. And boy, do I sure hope he's right. I think he's wrong. Well, let me preface that with <clears throat> both this article and uh, some of the other articles we're going to reference talk about the black vote. And they treat it as if it's one vote. Like, all black people get one vote. They're either going to be Trump or they're going to be Democrats. It is more complicated than that. Significantly. And I think it gets oversimplified. But what we're talking about here is can Trump uh, take what is traditionally like the vast, vast majority of black votes go towards Democrats? Right. Can he shift and skew that number? I think is what we're really talking about. Even though the articles talk about Essentially, frame it as it's one vote. Right. 
Right. And it's... But that gets into collective norms, which I don't know if you read that NPR article I sent. Uh, I did not. You must have added this. I added it like an hour and a half ago. What, well, clue me in. What's it, what's it got to say? <clears throat> it talks about pretty much all groups of people vote on these collective norms, but it's, it's like doubled down for black people where they vote based on their, their community, their demographic, like, and various leaders in the community will help dictate that. So, for example, Kanye might shift the black vote towards Trump, but you still have John Legend coming out and, like, publicly saying, like, yo, bro, what are you doing? And uh, other people distancing, other prominent black people distancing themselves from Kanye, saying, no, right. no, no, this is where our community is, like, look at the truth, look at the history, look at this bigotry that this person takes no ownership of. Right. Um, so the idea of this um, collective norm is what sways the... It's almost black as if vote. black people are just regular people. Yeah. Imagine that. That's the thing. They're people. Yeah. And, and it it's, gets, it's it gets, no different than white people, where a lot of white people are going to vote one way and a lot of white people are going to vote another way. And you can never take any one group's vote for granted. Which the Democrats do. They really do. And that's going to get them in trouble. And that is actually part of the the basis of this Peter Kersenow speech that we're going to go through. And I have to warn you, there are going to be parts of this podcast where we just let this dude talk for about 10 minutes. But we'll pause and chime in and say things with with some, some comedy pizzazz. <laughs> oh, I brought the pizzazz, Adam. Oh, yeah. We should have we written some monologue jokes. I just I mean, didn't have I've time. been too busy watching uh, The Imposter Season 2. I'm so much more well-versed for the podcast we no longer do now <laughs> that we no longer do. I've been watching so many shows. Thanks, Depression. Oh, everyone should watch Claws. Watch Claws <laughs> next. Claws is really good. It's like Shameless and Breaking Bad. In one show. It's really fucking good. I'm now into, to get this back on track, I'm now into the third episode of the Trump documentary on Netflix. Oh, yeah. It's called The Rise of Trump or something like that. And that, I'll I'll tie in some points from that later in this podcast. Uh, That is a fascinating watch. On one hand, I don't want to watch it because I feel like I'm just buying into the Trump celebrity. But on the other hand, it... It gives you what what is seemingly an objective, thorough breakdown. Like, they have Trump supporters and anti-Trump people. And right. Let's talk about his charisma and everything else. Yeah. It's all daddy issues, man. Yeah, I can see that. So, Happy let's Father's get back Day. to this CNN article. It mentions a quote from Seth Grossman, who is the GOP nominee for Congress in New Jersey's 2nd con- Congressional District. And this is... We'll play the video because... But I also want to just run this quote by you because the video is a little, the audio is not great on it. It's really low. This is a quote. In my view, the best way to bring diversity to the Republican Party is for Republicans to openly say that the whole idea of diversity is a bunch of crap and un-American. And let's, uh, let's see what kind of progress we can make with playing this video. I guess the irony of... In my view, the best way to bring diversity to the Republican Party is for Republicans to openly say that the whole idea of diversity is a bunch of crap and un-American. He goes on. This country is founded on the idea that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we are all created equal, endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Constitution was designed to incorporate that idea of the Declaration of Independence, that everybody is treated equally under the law. Now what diversity has become, it's been an excuse uh, by uh, Democrats, communists and socialists basically, uh, to say that that we're not all created equal. That Note the communists, socialists, and Democrats. Yeah, it's uh, he, he they're that. Sli- uh, slipping that in to subconsciously change their views of like, oh, Democrats are right. the same with socialists and commies. And that will come up also when we listen to the Peter Kersenow speech in a huge way. Yeah, I, I mean. In a very surprising way. But let's listen to the rest of this. Because w- what I'm trying to point out here is this all sounds really crazy racist coming from a white dude from New Jersey. But it doesn't when it comes from a black guy that's been part of this committee for 20 years that's right. very educated. And let's uh, finish the rest of this video. That, that, that some people, if, he, if somebody is lesser qualified, they will get a job anyway, or they'll get into college anyway because of the tribe that they're with. 
uh, what group, what box they fit into. You know, woman, African-American, Hispanic, they're, they're chopping us up in these different pieces and getting us fighting against each other instead of spending our time saying everybody should be judged by their own talent, their work, their savings, uh, and consequences. Once we do that, once we say that the Republicans want these traditional ways that made America great for all these years, uh, then maybe African Americans would realize that if we, we enforce our immigration laws, there'll be more opportunity for Americans of all backgrounds. When we talk about women saying, well, we need special care for uh, child care, we need this credit and that credit, say, wait a minute, when America was great, one parent alone earned more than enough money to comfortably support a family. That's what happened before we yeah. chopped Americans into these different boxes and saying, I'm entitled to something because I'm part of this group. So that's this diversity box that I think Republicans make a big mistake when we nominate lesser qualified candidates because they fit into that box. I believe that's why Republicans nominated Kim Guadagno instead of Jack Chattarelli last time. Because, oh, she's a woman. She'll get more votes because we're showing how diverse we are. Look how that turned out. Well, if you had a time machine and this guy was in a meeting 125 years ago, he was in the same position, he'd be saying, look how much farmers are struggling in the South. Remember how great America was when you had slaves and free labor? and didn't <laughs> Yeah. Have... It's the same fucking thing. Yeah. The only the, – the point he makes about there was a time when one income could support a household, that's a – pretty valid point but the way he was making it almost sounds like some handmaid's tale shit where well the answer to you know women needing time off from work to raise their children well the answer to that is just that the man makes enough money so the woman doesn't have to work duh and that's a it's a a weird a, a weird path to go down and but that's kind of beside the point also uh, what i'm also a lot of those jobs back then were factory manual labor jobs that have been replaced by automation or shipped overseas right but will trump will bring those back chat duh so that's why ivanka's getting a record number of uh business deals overseas with her uh, yeah anyways uh so yeah that all sounds really crazy and kind of inflammatory coming from a white dude from New Jersey. And this article on CNN points to that as an example of why black voters will never side with Trump, because he's racist. And he uses this speech as an example of the pervasive racism that is evident in the Trump administration. And he also says that the other reason black voters will never side with Trump is the Trump administration hasn't given the Obama administration the credit it deserves, which, I, like I said, I hope he's right. I don't want Trump to win in 2020, but I, I think this is another example of Democrats and people on the left not taking Trump seriously enough and not respecting Respecting the threat he poses to this country and what he's going to do to get reelected and how he's going to do it. Just as two examples, Kanye and Kim are the Kardashian brand and the Kanye West brand are two very, very strong brands. Right. And if those brands can lighten excitement to young voters, uh, you know, people that have now. Think about somebody that's been watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians since they were six, you know, or, or eight. Yeah. That show's been on for a long time. Where if, if you grow up and, and that person is, like, who you look up to, I, like, I'm pretty sure, doesn't Kim Kardashian, she has to have more Instagram followers rather than Trump or any political person. She has a massive amount of Instagram followers, yeah. Like, it's such a large empire, especially if you see, like, oh, Kim's going in and meeting with the president and getting this grandma or whatever pardoned. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like they can influence the vote. I don't. I don't. I still believe it's like one vote for blacks, but I think they can. They can well, certainly sway an election. Won the election, even though Hillary won the popular vote. She won the popular vote by a couple million, which isn't that many. 
yeah. votes. Like that's that's a swayable number if it was oh, a popular sure. vote still. Right. And the I, I think you're you're right in that the the quote black vote is treated as one thing that's gonna swing always on one issue. And in this case, I think they are kind of just reducing it down to, well, everyone knows Trump is racist, but that's a veneer you can chip away at. Everyone knows Trump's misogynistic. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yet, did he not take more of the white woman vote than Hillary? Yeah, he won, I think, 53% among white women. So, yeah, it's, it's what I've been saying for a long time. There needs to be a better argument than just Trump is racist. Because a lot of these ideas that he's been saying are not actually coming from him. They're coming from a man who has sat on the U.S. Commission for Civil Rights for damn near 20 years now. And it's an argument the left needs to be ready for, and I don't think they are. I don't think Trump has that many original thoughts. It's just, and different people have pointed this out or leaks from the administration, it's kind of like whoever talked to him last, like that's the idea that's in his head. And he just goes forward with that. What concerns me... One of the many things that concerns me with the left is like Robert De Niro on the Tonys last week. Did you see that? I I get I got the gist. I didn't watch the actual video. I watched the Tonys and it, it got bleeped. I'm like, what the fuck did he say? And he said, "Fuck you, Trump. Fuck or fuck Trump. Fuck Trump." Or right. Something to that effect. And then of course it went viral because it got bleeped. Now on one hand he's using his platform. Good for him. On the other hand, imagine if Ted Nugent was on some major award show. Right. And said, fuck Obama, fuck Obama. We'd be losing our shit. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so I understand why Trump supporters are going to lose their shit and say, fuck Hollywood. Like, it only doubles down on Hollywood is anti-Trump, anti-even America from their perspective. And by saying that, you're now playing Trump's game. Yes. Of... You know, you're either the attacker or the victim, and now and and Trump doubles down on people that attack him, right? And it's just a distraction from the truth. The truth is on non-Trump supporters' sides. I wouldn't say Democrats, liberals. Like you can be a Republican and not support Trump. The truth is on the side of anyone that isn't a Trump supporter, and. We're getting sucked into this, and it's going to weaken your arguments in the long run. Like, stick yeah. with the facts. And and I'm, I'm paraphrasing this from this Trump documentary I'm watching on Netflix, but, like, what Trump figured out with the media early on is if he controls the narrative, if he says something, most journalists are dumb. They don't realize what they're actually covering or what the story is. That, that That's an oversimplification. But, like, journalists, yeah. CNN, Fox News, whatever side of the political spectrum, they— take Trump's quotes and tweets and they report them at face value still, even though they know their lives. Right. They put his quote out there. And then as soon as Trump says something, everything else is a counter story or a counter argument and is not driving the narrative. It's, it's an effective strategy and, on Trump's part. And I think it's a strategy we've seen for a lot, like the, the rise of Fox news. If you look into that, that's kind of Fox News's game is they have, they have a talking point that they start the day with, and they just hammer you with it all day long. And, and it's, they're saying it, so it must be true. Right. And it's the same thing. It's a, a control the narrative kind of thing. And I, I feel like we're falling into that for sure. And now it's even the, even Fox News admits like some of the shitty things Trump did, but they're like, ah, but it doesn't matter because Hillary or whatever. Like the things that they denied, they now own he did, owned that Trump did. Like he lied or like Trump basically said like yeah i lied about whatever conversation i had with my son but the media is shitty anyway so doesn't matter well i i also see the left this happened with the north korea summit i see the left falling into that same kind of oh well if you you know this is okay well why weren't you mad when obama did it or you know and it's like the the example they brought up is Obama said he would have, you know, unrestricted talks with dictators like near the end of his term and Republicans got really upset and were like, oh, why would you ever allow that? But then when Trump salutes uh, or, or uh, yeah. a fucking military officer. Right. Or even just has. Peep. But here's the thing. 
fuck that argument. That's an argument we don't need to have because what do we care? Like, what do we, what is that going to fix or help if Republicans all of a sudden go, yeah, why is Trump meeting with North Korea? And it doesn't matter what Obama did. Like, Fox News would have an issue with it. Right. So don't go down that road. Right. That's, That's the thing. It's, we don't need to devolve into that shit it's not it's playing trump's game and it's it's a really bad idea and i think by just writing off trump and because here's the thing i do think trump is racist there are things in his past that very clearly indicate a racist bent in donald trump but we need to start thinking about it harder than that because i feel like just leaning on Trump is racist is a trap that the Republicans are setting for Democrats. And I feel like Democrats are just going to fall right the fuck into it. Not to digress too much here, but I would argue, I, I don't even know if Trump is racist, at least not in the traditional sense, because that would imply some set of values. And I don't think he has strong yeah. values. Like he just does whatever it is to get the attention on him. I tweeted something to the effect of, if everyone could just agree, all the TV channels, all the newspapers, everybody on social media, we will not talk about Trump, we will not quote Trump, we will not retweet Trump, we will not give him any coverage unless he does positive things. I promise you, starving him for a week, by the end of the week, he would be fucking personally carrying kids from Mexico <laughs> into the U.S., fucking taking hand-by-hand, reuniting kids with their parents to get that coverage. Maybe. To, to have people talk about him, but that would never happen. Yeah, none of that would ever happen, but who knows? So sorry, I didn't mean to step on your. Oh no, 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 no. We should we should move get into talking more about Peter Kersenow and getting into this speech. A little bit of background: he's sixty four, very youthful looking years old. Well, when you shave your head and have a mustache, yeah, he's got like a curly fucking almost like uh, he's one monocle away from Black Mister Monopoly. Yeah, yeah, he needs a monocle. He was born in and still lives in Cleveland, Ohio. Way better than Columbus. Way better. Fuck yeah. Columbus. Graduated from Cornell University. He's an attorney and member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights since the early days of the Bush administration. The USCR. Meaning he served under Obama as USCCR. well. USCCR. Right. Which, that's a thing that makes him seem, like I've said before, like a really bipartisan kind of guy who people on all sides respect. But it's... Seems... Yeah, it's it's way more complicated than that. He was first appointed under Bush. Let's talk about that appointment. And a lot of this, uh, or all of this information, comes from a two, uh, December 8, 2001 New York Times article called U.S. Rights Commission Blocks Seating of Bush Nominee. And Further proof that not everything under Bush is a good thing. What? Come on. <laughs> oh, my God, chat. And... He was confirmed after a really long court battle. It basically went to the Supreme Court. The woman who was the head of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights at the time, when Bush appointed Peter Kersenow, said it's going to take federal marshals to seat him. Like, she vowed to fight this, and she did, all the way to the Supreme Court. It, it all started with the death of a judge named A. Leon Higginbotham. <laughs> which sounds like Fun a name. S- Simpsons character, but he is a man President Clinton once called, quote, one of our nation's most passionate and steadfast advocates for civil rights. And at the time of his death, the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights was headed by a woman named Mary Frances Barry. Who, Mary an- Barry. Another you pretty, have to have Frances because Mary Barry's just a pretty fun name. And she is staunchly liberal. And she and the rest of the USCCR appointed his replacement after he died. Another liberal named Victoria Wilson. Boring name. Yeah, pretty boring. And that's, so she's got to go. See ya. (laughs) And the thing is, Higginbotham's term, had he lived to see the end of it, was supposed to expire November 29th, 2001. And Barry's side argued that at that point, Victoria Wilson should get her own six-year term because appointments to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights are for six years. 
And the and they said nine. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, comedy! Whoa. And the Bush administration disagreed, and they appoint Peter Kersenow. He is, like we've said, and as you'll see in this speech, he is a staunchly right-leaning lawyer. And at the time, the USCCR was the the party demographics were five to three in favor of liberals. And appointing Peter Kersenow would make it four to four and make it so the conservative side could just block anything this commission ever wanted to do. Now, why is it eight and not nine? What do you mean? Like, why not? So you so you don't get I don't, in that yeah, position. I don't know. I, I, I didn't expect you to have that answer, but... Yeah, it, it seems like a flaw in the system. But the thing is, this commission can't do that much. They They don't have any legislative powers. They just kind of write reports and make recommendations. I saw one quote that said it's meant to be the conscience of the government. They put out the stuff that the government can say, well, a report says this, or based on that, blah, 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 blah. Right. Or they can put out stuff that's critical of the government. They they have that ability, and that's what they did. After the 2000 election, under Mary Frances Barry, they put out a report about how minority voters were mistreated and abused during the 2000 election, and basically saying the minority vote was suppressed to help George Bush win. So after they release this report, George Bush is like, oh, okay, well, we're going to replace your girl on that you just appointed because her term is coming up. And that turned into the argument. Did she deserve a six-year term or was she just acting on an interim basis? And the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Bush administration and put Peter Kirsenow on the Civil Rights Commission where he has stayed for 18 years now. Because it keeps getting renewed? Is that how it works? It got... Bush appointed him to one six-year term Mm -hmm. and then reappointed him for another six-year term. He got reappointed by Congress for another six-year term. Now why Congress, not Obama? I don't know. I don't know exactly how the process works. But the point is he's been there the whole time. And And, he's the longest-serving member now, I believe. Yeah, he's a senior member. And what he he gives the Republicans or conservatives is the ability to spread headlines like this one, which was on Breitbart. Civil rights advocates praise Jeff Sessions for protecting black American workers, which is just a banana sentence, (laughs) if you think about it. But it's just an uh, it's a Breitbart article from 2016 during the presidential campaign. Anything that says praise Jeff Sessions is usually pretty hard to believe. <laughs> exactly, and that's the thing. Peter Kersenow loves Jeff Sessions. He thinks Jeff Sessions' immigration policies are exactly what Black people need, and because he has daddy issues, and we'll get to that. <laughs> so they can, you know, put an article out like this. And even if you're fact-checking it, it looks pretty legit. Like, you know, it it looks like a a long-serving member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights supports Jeff Sessions because that's exactly what it is. But if you look into Peter Kersenow, there's not a lot of information about him out there, but there are a few really interesting articles. And a few interesting long fiction reads. Yes, that is, we might as well mention that now just to break up the, the monotony. He also writes spy thrillers. Yeah, I wrote the notes. Oh, that Peter Kersenow. <laughs> He's got two books. Author of Target Omega? <laughs> Target Omega. Four and a half stars based on 22 customer reviews. A Mike Guerin thriller. Only 15 left in stock. More on the way. Should we, we should, for this month's bonus episode, we should read... We should each read one of these and do a, a report. No, stop there. We should just read it as the episode. <laughs> People would listen to an audiobook of us, right? Yeah. Oh, I, I'm sure. Uh, Target Omega uh, by Peter Kersenow, a Mike Guerin thriller, and also Second Strike. Where does this guy get the fucking time? That's what <laughs> I, I ask. Know. Do you know how hard it is to write a book? Well, yeah. And in, in the video we're going to play, he talks... Uh, in the opening, which we're not going to play that part. All those Cleveland Brown jokes, baby. He's got a lot of Cleveland Brown jokes, but he also talks about doing 600 pages of research uh, for some Supreme Court 
nomination that he had to testify for. It's like, man, have I done 600 pages of research for, like, cumulative in my career? Well, I have a theory that high-functioning evil people rise to the top, so. Yeah. Like, you have a great work ethic, Adam, but you don't have sociopathic work ethic that would require you to get the, that can't finish sentence. Basically, I want to see you be president, but I don't think you're crazy enough. Oh, no, I'm never going to be president. I That's why it's way the wild too many brown drugs, ticket, and I'm not, not the brown stop. wild ticket. No, you're not going to be president either. Why not? We can I'll, run. Your association with me will bring you down. I'll see to it. So there's also a really interesting Huffing- Huffington Post article from 2006 written by Max Blumenthal called Alito's Pro-Internment Witness. Quote, you can forget about civil rights. And one of the things Peter Kersenow mentions in this video that we'll watch is that he has been asked to testify four times for the nomination of Supreme Court justices, which is just another thing that lends a huge air of credibility to this guy. And this article is addressing the fact that he's been called to testify for Samuel Alito, who is a Supreme Court justice now. And it was, it mentions a July 19th, 2002 U.S. Commission on Civil Rights meeting with Arab American groups in Detroit, where Kersenow said that if there's another terrorist attack in the United States, and this part is a quote, and they come from the same ethnic group that attacked the World Trade Center, you can forget about civil rights. So this, I want you to break this down. Be very clear about what he's saying here. What he's saying is if there is another terrorist attack pulled off by by saying ethnic group he's kind of just saying anybody that's not white right kind of right well you know muslim people but you know not all people in arab countries are muslim but by religion not a yeah by saying by saying ethnic group he's going way broader than muslim and he's just saying that whole group like even if he was just saying all right well it was Saudi Arabia that attacked us on 9-11, which wouldn't which that be a would never go after. bold stance? Uh, even if he was just saying all Saudi Arabians living in the United States no longer have civil rights. That's an insane, like, no matter how narrow or broad the intention of that statement is, he's saying if a handful of people from that group pull off another terrorist attack in this country, none of you have civil rights anymore until we figure it out. And that's why they're calling him a pro-internment witness, because that's what he's he's suggesting, is internment for an entire group. And he also said in that meeting that people should drop their opposition to the Patriot Act, because if Arabs attack the U.S. again, another quote here, not too many people will be crying in their beer if there are more detentions, more stops, more profiles. Probably because they're too drunk to deal with the reality of what's happening. Right. And <laughs> I mean, crying in your barrel is just a weird. Yeah, it's it's a weird way to put it, but it's exactly the the way this guy would put it. Once you hear him talk, like you can hear him saying that, and like because Americans drink beer. Imagine Trump saying that. Because here's the thing: I'm sure you can. That sounds exactly like. Not too many people will be crying in their beer if there are more detentions, more stops, more profiling. People will be drinking the best beer, the greatest beer, with no tears. Like, that is absolutely something Trump would say. And this uh, 2006 article also points out that this guy built his reputation as a lawyer, basically successfully defending big business against union drives. What a piece of shit! (laughs) And lawsuits from exploited workers, including one who died from a workplace injury. Well, that's what he gets for having a job. So basically what I'm getting at, this guy is conservative as fuck, but he also, he's a good public speaker and it's easy to write off the guy from New Jersey when he talks about how diversity is a thing the Republican party should reject. Yeah. And a small group of fucking white old dudes. Right. And not only reject, but call people who push the idea of diversity and affirmative action and things like that, start painting them as the racists. That sounds crazy and impossible coming from that dude. But let's listen to Peter Kirsten now talk about it. This is 
a speech he gave in 2014. It's called Amnesty, comma, Taking Black Votes for Granted. It's an interesting listen. The I, I would encourage people to go out and listen to all of it, just because I feel like we're going to see more of this guy at some point. It would be silly for Republicans not to, if nothing else, at the next Republican National Convention. I could see this guy giving some version of the speech we're about to listen to, and I could see it really fucking resonating. This speech has less than 500 views. Yeah, it's get in on the ground floor now. 14 thumbs up, one thumbs down. Guess who that thumbs down is, Adam? Was that you, Chet? Right (laughs) here. Chet's getting in on the ground floor as well. And the first 15 minutes or so are, they're, they're kind of pointless, but you're right in the notes, pretty strong jokes. Like, he's a very charismatic, kind of funny guy. He's, he's sort of self-deprecating in a sort of charming way. That in a way that com- establishes credibility. Right, right. He makes a good face for this argument. The first, I watched this video two weeks ago when we were going to first record this while I was driving. I had it. I was listening to the audio. In the first 15 minutes, I'm like, this guy's very likable. I didn't do any research on him before. I was very surprised when this started taking turns. Right. It, so for the first 15 minutes, he talks about how he's testified at the hearings of four Supreme Court justices. He talks about being asked to testify for the Gang of Eight bill, which was a bipartisan, four Republican, four Democrat immigration reform bill that kind of got in republicans defense it did kind of get forced through and it never took effect anyway so i don't know what the fuck they're crying about about. how great cleveland is compared to columbus yeah he does talk about cleveland a lot uh he is a cleveland browns fan which that should make you question his judgment if nothing else but for the first 15 minutes it's all rainbows and butterflies kind of lighthearted banter and then around the 15 minute mark yeah so let's this is gonna be a long pod strap in everybody so let's at the 15 minute mark where this speech gets really interesting let's talk about that let's or let's listen to that here we go here we go taking black votes for granted is just a subset of all the stupid things that are going on and maybe the least important but from a political perspective quite curious Over the last 50 years, I'd submit that our immigration policy has gone from dumb to deranged to now outright dangerous. And I want to give you a personal example that I think is illustrative of it. Like many of you here and many people in the United States, I'm the son of an immigrant. And I want to give you a little Uh bit of a trajectory of how we got to this current past compared to where we were when we... I want to pause this for a second because that's not an unimportant point because I don't know if Anna Valenzuela brought it up on last week's episode, but we talked about this and she brought up that there are a lot of people who came to this country as the children of immigrants and it all happened legally and they're like, my parents did everything and they're American citizens now. I'm an American citizen. Fuck you for not doing it legally yourself. Well, they also feel like, on people's behalf, but my perception is there's a feeling of my parents had to jump through all these hoops. How come these people don't have to jump that's through the exact, all these hoops? Yeah, that's the exact same point. And that's there is a lot of that. And it's another way that I think the left does take, well, we'll always have that vote. Well, like if you're yeah. the child of an immigrant, of course you're going to vote Democrat. And maybe not. And it's. No. If, if the. And you're about to hear the argument why from a person of color who is the child of an immigrant. So when I say buckle up for having this argument in the run-up to the 2020 election, I fucking mean it. Because this guy's going to be like, listen, when my dad came here, a doctor put his finger up his ass to make sure he didn't have hemorrhoids. How come everyone else doesn't have to have a finger up their ass? He does kind of say that. Yeah, I I mean, I'm giving it a... It's not that much of an exaggeration. In fact... When you get into the what what a medical uh, examination covers, probably had a finger in his ass. Oh yeah, for sure. So yeah, that him being the child of an immigrant is also a very very important point here, because this isn't the way you're used to hearing 
these arguments that so, are about to be presented. Yeah, when a lot of rich old white dudes are like, this is how black people should feel, or this is how immigrants should feel. It's like, eh, whatever. But it gives him more credibility as somebody that's lived it firsthand. Right. And let's get back to it. My father immigrated to the United States in the early 1950s from the Soviet Union. I've heard all the black Russian jokes. <laughs> See? <laughs> it's funny. Good laugh. He ha! came oh, here go back real quick. lawfully. Go back 10 seconds. Yeah, what did that guy mutter? I think a guy just repeated his punchline. ...to the United States in the early 1950s from the Soviet Union. I've heard all the black Russian jokes. <laughs> he came here <laughs> That'd be me, lawfully. just repeating the punchline. Now, we heard, especially in the summertime about the surge of alleged children, many of whom shave, drive, do a lot of other things. But during this surge, we heard repeatedly from media and many in the administration about their desperation. They are trying to escape horrific circumstances, grinding poverty, oppression, and I believe, to some extent, maybe even to a large extent, that is true. And it was meant to tug on our heartstrings and affect the manner in which we looked at it and therefore our immigration policy also. And by that I mean it was trying to move us in an open borders, an accepting of open borders direction. My father was a lieutenant in the Red Army. Okay. Each unit Let's not discount in the Soviet this guy might Army be a had a Soviet political spy. officer. His job was to make sure that the party line was Pushing followed. Russian Strictly, the party line was followed. And my father was adjudged as not being a very enthusiastic supporter of communism. This political officer was a pretty astute Never guy. mind. When that happens, you get grabbed. And right after the, the conclusion of the war, he was <laughs> grabbed by the NKVD. For all of you who know anything about the Soviet Union, NKVD was the predecessor to the KGB, which is now the FSB slash SVR. Lots of acronyms. The evil Thank remains the same. The evil remains the same. Now, think about how much of the focus on the left has been, well, we just, we need like a whole new fucking approach. It needs to be like socialism or communism, like... Maybe we should start experimenting with that. And then here comes this guy. Like, the anti-communism, anti-socialist stuff is going to go hand in hand and also people seem with this to, message. People are unable to um, separate democratic socialists versus pure socialists. Oh, for sure. There's a large difference. It's a, it's a trigger word, basically, where you hear the word socialist, you hear the word communist, and there's going to be a segment of this population that whether they know anything about either of those concepts, it's just going to set off alarm bells in their head. Like, and, and and to clarify for the listeners, and correct me if I'm wrong, what Bernie, being a democratic socialist, not a socialist, basically that just means he wants programs uh, where everyone gets health care and everyone has access to education at a reasonable or a free... Yeah, I cost. mean, we, like, we know what it means, okay. but it doesn't... That's... That's not who this guy's going to be talking to. Yep. A lot of this is going to go to those middle of the road, undecided, moderate, type, swing votes, moderate yep. the left would call them centrists, whatever you want to call it. But most voters aren't that well educated on political shit. I mean, a lot of people think Obama was super liberal and super progressive, but he's really more of a centrist. Oh, for, oh yeah, for sure. All right. So let's get back to it. They grabbed him detained him along with tens, hundreds of thousands of his compatriots, he was either going to be killed or sent to a gulag somewhere. Being killed was probably better. I can tell you that while he was detained, a number of his cohorts and himself eh, had kind of an unpleasant stay. Let's put it this way. If he were subjected to waterboarding, he would think it would be literally a day at the beach. All right, pause it. The Russians take... So what are the awful things that if if waterboarding is a literal day at the beach, how awful does it get that you still survive it? 
Because I'm trying to think that the stuff that's worse than that, like where they nail your anus to the tree and then they whip you and you walk around the tree until you're outside yeah. and come wrap up, but then you're dead. But even that, he's like, by throwing that in, he's also kind of like, he's he's also speaking to a different demographic. It's a smart thing to put in there. It's a level of suffering that people had to experience to get here just like your parents did and they had to go through all this shit. Right. So let's, let's people. carry on. Like a little bit different approach, so shall we say, slightly more aggressive approach to torture. His desperation, his oppression, I would argue, no less desperate, no less oppressive than that of all of the illegal aliens who come to the United States, and possibly more so. We heard that many were supposedly uh, escaping drug cartels or corrupt governments, I'll put the NKVD slash KGB against any drug cartel out there. They're a little bit more efficient, a lot more resources, just as bad, if not worse. He escaped. At least he's a Republican anti-Russian. Second time, obviously, was successful. And did so in a manner that would make the movie Great Escape look like child's play. Child's Play was a scary movie. He got to Germany, and you may know that the Russians don't forget about you when you escape. Now, I don't know, I know Hans is going to be speaking later, and Hans has a similar story. It's amazing how so many Russians have the same story. His father also has a very similar story, much more creative, actually. They will still come after you. Despite the fact that his life was at risk, He had to wait. He had to stand in line. It took him years to get to the United States. He had no entitlement to come to the United States. We may have compassion for people like that, but we are a sovereign nation. We get to dictate who gets to come here, better or worse. When he came here, he made a little stop at the venerable Ellis Island. Why? Well, so very credibly, They could determine whether or not he was a communist, whether or not he might be a Nazi, some of those guys got over here, whether or not he was a criminal in his home country. He's about to say something really important. Simple, rational procedure. Compare that to what we're doing today. We have tens of thousands of... I don't know when he's going to say it, but the point he's actually making there, at one point he's going to mention... Oh, and also, uh, in the meantime, while they were verifying this, they let him stay on the island. Like, what he's advocating for there is kind of what they're doing in Australia with refugees seeking asylum now, where they have these island encampments set up where they're, you know, everything you've seen in videos of refugee encampments here, which are looking pretty fucking terrible. It's that, but they're on an island to keep everyone away from the mainland while they figure all this out. And he's kind of twofold appealing to immigration reform types and also patriots, people who would hear Ellis Island and go, yeah, that's what America is. ...of criminals coming here. We have people, we don't know what political affiliation they have. I have a feeling that some people hope that eventually... They align themselves with a particular political party. That's where I thought you can fuck up. But off. the political affiliation yeah. could very, very well be one that doesn't appreciate the United States of America. Was it not implying that? It could be that terrorist. It could be infiltration. They'll probably be of Democrats, some but also don't appreciate America and like now these a whole lot. things. Muslims, but we don't I think even he's talking make a about, but also communists, to discern socialists. who's coming into the country. We have no idea. And our country is even opening up the borders and resettling these people, helping them. This is extraordinary, truly extraordinary. It is madness. This is the deranged part. They checked him for diseases. Here we go. Butthole. They stopped him there for a while, so he couldn't come to the United States. There's a little island there. It's an island. You can't come into the mainland. Now, keep in mind, this is 2014. And remember when Trump, during the campaign, said illegal immigrants are bringing diseases into the country. Where do you think he heard that? From this guy. We have to find out what diseases you may be carrying. We have no such concern today. Come on in. 
We have no idea what diseases hundreds of thousands of people who are coming in without any type of monitoring may be carrying. There's speculation, and when we speculate, we're told we're racist and xenophobic. A little tougher to do with me, but nonetheless, that is the charge. Did you hear that? A little, a little tougher. tougher to do with me. And he's right. Like, he's, well, like, at some point he says like he's basically the definition of diversity, and I'm like, yeah, you're still straight male. Well, yeah, but, but yeah. at the same time, he's, he is the child of immigrants. And he's black. And he is black. And... And despite those things, he has proven that you can become and, well-educated and, and successful, so to speak. Not just, it's not just that he's black, but everything he's arguing, everything he's building up to is that illegal immigration hurts black males like him. So how do you call him racist? I mean, you can. Hey, racist. <laughs> yeah. But it's, I'm just saying. Some people think argument could come coming. across the border. Why couldn't it? Everything else is coming across the border. Here's the thing. You keep all those people, people on island for a while, everyone will get a bowl of one person. We don't bowl know. Up. And that's right. the point. We have no idea what's coming over here because we've lost complete control of our minds when it comes to immigration. We also have no idea of the president's health. It was determined also whether or not he would be a charge on the public treasury. Could he support himself? That was essential. And remember, this was the early 50s. There was no gigantic welfare state. There was no Obamacare. No matter how much of a slug he may have been, there was not much he could have done to be a charge on the public treasury back then, but still, they had to determine whether or not he had prospects for a job. He had, for lack of a better term, a sponsor who had been working at a steel company and told him he was going to be retiring and he could take his job. The guy was a union steward. So... We are running a little long. We won't be able to listen to all of this, but I, I do encourage people to go out and listen to it. I want to, especially the, the last 10 minutes where he super duper digs in about Democrats and a spe he calls out the congressional, the congressional black caucus, nah. uh, especially hard black caucus. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Uh, he really calls them out for worrying more about immigrants and diversity than worrying about issues that impact black people, which he's arguing immigration is the issue that impacts black people the most. And that's kind of what I've been getting at is over these years is that this is the direction Trump is going to take the immigration argument. And or to stop these people and unemployment will continue to go down and you'll have more opportunities because they're not taking your jobs or whatever else. Right. And weighing down the economy and, and sucking resources that should be going towards you. But I, I want to play one more clip from this, which we listened to the uh, congressional candidate from New Jersey talking about how diversity is a thing Republicans should reject as a way to actually bring diversity to the Republican Party. Let's hear Peter Kirsten now talk about it. Out of one many. <laughs> the idea was to make sure we were one nation, indivisible. Today, what do we have? If you go back and listen to the video of the Republican Congress candidate, that's exactly... His first point. Yeah, which we played. Yeah. We have what I would suggest is the intellectual rot of multiculturalism. Let me stop right there. I'm a member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. I've been a member. I'm the longest serving member now. What I'm saying is valid. What I'm I've been saying a member is valid. For a what long I'm saying time. is valid. And I want to be specific right. about what I'm talking about. We keep hearing about multiculturalism over and over again. We keep hearing about diversity over and over again. I'm a member of my firm's diversity committee. <laughs> I would say I'm diversity personified, but I've never been able to understand what that means. What does it mean? I'm opposed to discrimination. I thought that was pretty good, saying I'm opposed to anti-discrimination. That always served us well. That should be the lodestar. But diversity is one of these insidious concepts that when you break it apart, is nothing more than fancy discrimination. 
And the idea of multiculturalism, as if every culture is of equal value, is sheer inanity. The only applause break and we know in this speech. Because right now, on our TVs, every There's single day... a bunch day, of Trump white voters are like, finally a black a guy can get behind. That I think most people would yeah. say is not the most enlightened. Are we supposed to treat it with the same amount of reverence as Western civilization culture, as Socrates and Aristotle? But this is what our elites tell us, and it's strewn throughout the academy, not just K through 12, but especially in colleges and law schools and professional schools, that America is what's wrong with the, with the world. Blame America first. My father was immersed in Americanism. Today, how many immigrants, illegal or otherwise, are immersed in that? They are more likely to see images of other Americans burning flags, of professors talking about the fact that 9-11 was an inside job. Well, but everything wrong about America is stressed in our educational institutions, in our media, in our popular culture. We're the bad guys. And contemplate for a moment what a dark place the world would be without, without the United States of America. Well, if we're that bad, why are so many people trying to move here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, so yeah, that's, uh, that's Peter Kersenow. And I encourage people to go out and listen to that entire speech because you're probably going to hear it again at the Republican National Convention and won't it look cool when you're lip syncing it in the living room in front of all your friends and they're like how do you know this and you'd be like well I watched it a couple hundred times subscribe to Unpops subscribe to Unpops be in the know everybody or maybe I'm wrong and they'll just never make this guy a big deal but I can't picture that that would be insane this guy is such an asset for the argument that they're trying to make. And the thing is, he never gets into statistics in this speech. And I haven't actually looked into what statistics he's using to back this up. Who's to say he's wrong? Like, I don't know. And I, what I do know is, like I've been saying, it's an argument Democrats need to be ready to have in 2020 or they're going to get fucking annihilated. And I just don't feel like they're prepping for that argument. The Democrats are seemingly not doing anything to sway mid-voters. They're just saying, like, fuck you, Trump, which isn't going to change any Trump supporter's mind. Like, there's... Right. You got you to gotta go with the facts and try to get some control of the fucking narrative. Right. Yeah, it can't just all be fuck Trump, Trump's racist, Trump's... Like, if you want to go after Trump, just go, just play all the clips of him saying, we won't, you know, we won't take care of, or we won't get rid of pre-existing conditions, and then, like, all the Trump voters with pre-existing conditions that are now going to be getting fucked if that stuff gets stripped away. Like, there's so many things yeah. you can pull from and just be like, he said he'd do this, and he didn't. Yeah. He blatantly lied. Yeah. Who knows? But uh, definitely go out and listen to the rest of that speech. Listen to... At, at least the last 10 minutes where he talks about taking black votes for granted, which I think is going to become a really big talking point. And here's the thing. It's not an unreasonable talking point because black votes are taken for granted by the left. And I don't think anyone would argue that black people haven't, necessarily been represented that well in government and you know come up with an alternative solution that doesn't involve mass deportations please where you can get really otherwise there are going to be mass deportations in this country where you can get really concerned is and this sounds fucked up is if trump starts making it easier for black people to vote then you're like oh he knows he's got them because it's it, it, if you look at different communities and, and voting and polling stations, it's disproportionate in, in different populations. Right. And if you're in the hood or a predominantly black community, like it is not the same as uh, no. if you're a nice little midtown white America. It was so easy for me to vote here in Burbank. <clears throat> oh, man. Not easy in my part of town, Adam. <laughs> so so that's, that's Peter Kersenow. That is 
our deep dive into Cursenau. I kind of want to watch this Noam Chomsky, Donald Trump is a distraction video. Yeah, I'm sure it's interesting. That Kurt Cobain interview that's linked on the sidebar is damn interesting. I've seen it before. All right, we should get out of here. I think Carrie Martin's probably waiting downstairs. Not my problem. Or might be close. Who knows? Uh, is she? Is, is she? she? Come on, Carrie. I don't know. Come for my love. <laughs> All right. Stay for the hugs. What do we have to plug before we get out of here? Hey, please give this podcast good ratings and reviews on iTunes. If you're listening on Patreon, maybe go out and uh, throw us a subscribe on iTunes. You know, just just to give us the little boost. Boost baby. them numbers, baby. You can still listen to it in the Patreon feed, but that was a little subscribe. Let us have some of your phone data. Just a little bit of data is all we need. Just a little bit of that D. Ooh, give us that D, baby. Just a little bit. Just the tip. Just give us the tip. Or you could go to patreon.com slash unpops and give us a buck or two or five a month if you want some bonus apps. I'm still paying 10 a month because I wanted to see that one thing back in January and I forgot to downgrade we're gonna be account, so. We're going to be back to live streaming really soon. We yeah. just got all the cameras set up. I need one more set of lights. How about live shows? Live shows will... Get back in those yeah, well, we have a live What in the World podcast this uh, this month Thanks. at the Hollywood Hotel, last Saturday of the month. Sweet. We'll have more details about that soon. Do you got anything to plug, chat? Just if I'm on that show, I'll plug it. If not, so be it. <laughs> All right, let's get the fuck out of here. Chat. Carrie's not even here yet. It's time to say goodbye, chat. Carrie, are you here? Oh, we don't even need to go. What bullocks you're pulling on me? Chat. What up? Say goodbye, chat. We haven't hung out in a while. How come I know. We're going to go downstairs toured. and hang out instead of work. But we could take the microphones with us, or we could shout from downstairs so our conversation still picked up. Hey, we'll do that for sure. Don't worry about it. Adam, but I got in no the meantime, place to be. I didn't even drive here. I don't want to take a lift. I just want to live here now. I'm just going to say goodbye, everybody. We love you. Uh-huh.